And you can turn with me in your Bibles, if you, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Samuel 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this evening. It's also in your service sheets uh, for your convenience if, if you don't have your, your Bible with you. But uh, 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10, we're continuing our, our series through uh, prayers in the Bible. And we, we started this just last, last Sunday morning, uh, and we heard Todd this morning uh, looking at Ephesians 1 and, and the prayer of Paul there. Uh, this evening we're looking at a, a prayer from from a godly woman uh, named Hannah. And uh, it's actually quite a, a profound prayer and a profound moment in her life. And so let's, let's hear now God's word from 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall shall be cut off in darkness. For not by mighty might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. So how do we pray when, when things are, are going really well? Or do we pray when things are going really well? I reckon uh, most of us are, are pretty good at, at, at praying when things aren't going so well, right? We, we're the, the, prayer, the, the prayers of, of desperation. But, but how do we pray when we, when we receive good gifts from our God? Things that give us give us joy. Are we only are only we only desperate prayers? How how do we how we answer that actually says a lot about how we view God, doesn't it? You know, in America, there's a an organization called the Federal Reserve Bank, or the Fed. And it's this government organization that was started uh, towards the end or, or after uh, the Great Depression, and one of its jobs is to be a lender of last resort where if a bank is about to fail, they can go to the Fed and, and take out a loan, and the Fed will, will give them cash to keep the bank afloat, to keep it from going bust. I wonder if God's simply our, our lender of last resort. Do we only go to him when, when we need some help? You know, is he this powerful organization that, that gives us a leg up when we're running a deficit in our lives, and we just need, we need that little bit to get us to, to stay afloat? Or do we go to him when we're thankful? Do 
Do we go to him when we're full of joy? This evening we get to, to meet this an incredible woman uh, in Hannah, the, the mother of the prophet Samuel. And in chapter uh, 1 of, of 1 Samuel, uh, we, have, we have a very short prayer from her, a, actually a partial prayer. But in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, uh, we get the, the full, complete words of, of her second prayer, a prayer of, of thanksgiving and joy, even though it, it doesn't quite sound like that on the surface. But what we see in Hannah is how we ought to pray when our, our cries for help and for mercy have been answered. When the, the storms and troubles of life have been, have been lifted from us, how do we, how do we come before God? This, this godly woman offers us a, a beautiful example of how we approach our great God when things have gone right. And what we learn is that, that, uh, is, is every bit as, is that coming before God in, in our joy is every bit as important as coming before him in our need. That, that thankfulness is as important as, as, as asking for the things that we know he delights to give us. And there's three things for us to see this evening. First of all, the, the context of Hannah's prayer. Secondly, the, the joy of God as our portion. And thirdly, the security that's found in God alone. So first, let's understand the, the context of Hannah's prayer. And we see that uh, back in chapter 1. I'm going to refer back to chapter 1, even though we didn't read that this evening. And in looking at this prayer uh, this week, it actually made me wish we were going through 1 Samuel uh, because it's, it's a really compelling narrative and we'll, I'm sure we'll get there at some point. But for now, I simply want us to, to understand uh, why Hannah prayed the prayer that we've, we've, we're looking at here this evening. Well, Hannah was a, a godly woman, as we've said, and she was married to a godly man named Elkanah. And Elkanah actually had two wives. He had Hannah and, and another woman uh, named Pe- Penina. I don't even know how to pronounce that. And, and I took Hebrew in seminary. I still can't pronounce it. But the relationship with, within this family was, was pretty complicated. It, it was a lot like uh, Jacob with his wives Leah and Rachel, if you remember those stories. In this case, Penina has been blessed with children, whereas Hannah has none. She's barren. But Hannah was still the favored wife. So, so Elkanah favors Hannah. Every, every year this family would go to a place called Shiloh where they would, uh, would worship God. Shiloh was about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. And you have to keep in mind that the temple had not been built yet. So there wasn't a physical building where people could go to worship God in Israel. And so they were going up to, to where the tent of meeting had been placed, uh, the tent of the tabernacle for the worship of God. And every year they would go up and they would, they would worship according to the custom of God's people. And they would, they would make sacrifices and then they would, they would hold a feast to celebrate. And we're told at this celebration, this feast, that, that Elkanah would give uh, his wife Penina and her sons a, a portion from, from the table. But then he would turn to his wife Hannah and he would give her a double portion simply because he loved her so much. And naturally, jealousy crept in between uh, these two women. And they're described as, as rivals in verse 6 of chapter 1. Peninnah would mock Hannah for her lack of children. And that would cause Hannah to, to weep. So one year on, on their pilgrimage, uh, tired of being mocked and desperate for a child of her own, Hannah uh, goes to the temple after the feast 
And she goes to the door of this, this temple, this tabernacle, and she, she starts pouring her heart out before God. And she's praying to the Lord, and she's weeping and she's praying. And uh, if you have your Bibles open, you can look at, at verse 11 of chapter 1. It says this, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And she doesn't stop there. She continues, doesn't let she? She pours out her heart. Uh, verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, uh, he was, he's the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Now, Eli, the priest, eventually realizes she's not drunk. She's, she's simply troubled in spirit, and, and she's praying before God, and he, he blesses her, and, and he tells her, go in peace, the, and, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And indeed, God does exactly that. In time, Hannah conceives, and, and she gives birth to a son, and she names the boy Samuel, and she raises the, the child until he's of age to be weaned when he could leave his mother. And then in fulfillment of her vow, she, she takes him to the temple where she gives him to Eli, the priest. She hands him over to the Lord for the service of God. And she says to Eli, the priest, verse 26 of chapter 1, and, and she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And then Hannah worships uh, the Lord God, who heard her cries and, and answered her in her brokenness and in her longing. And so what does she pray then when things have, have gone right? What does she say to the Lord who, who heard and answered her prayer and turned her weeping into joy? Well, first, she shows us in, in, in our second point this evening, she, she talks about the joy of God as our portion, doesn't she? The joy of having the Lord God as the one that we can, we can rest in and trust in. And there's three things for us to, to see under this point. First of all, our praise often reflects our own experience, doesn't it? Praise needs to be personal. Verse 1 reflects this, this very clearly, doesn't it? Hannah uh, uh, lays out how she personally feels about God based on her own experience. She talks about my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth der derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. It gets, it's very personal, isn't it? You hear these, these personal pronouns used uh, throughout. I think we should accept this as, as actually a, a challenge to us to, to approach God in private personal worship. You know, we can sometimes criticize uh, churches for being too me-centered, can't we? Or maybe you haven't, but and I'm, I'm simply confessing my own sinfulness before you. That's okay. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm your minister, and I'm a sinner. Don't worry. But in our, our corporate worship, we aim to be just that, don't we? We aim to be corporate. We want our, uh, our worship to reflect our hearts as, as the gathered people of God together, and we come before him on, on his terms, don't we? We want to challenge our hearts to think and believe and worship God rightly. And, to, uh, and so we, we attempt to come before God 
the way he's, he's called us to do that in his word. That is, we, we come before God according to the things we, we see in his word and not our own creativity. Our corporate worship, though, should lead us to, to what we see in Hannah's prayer, which is, which is a robustly personal prayer of worship of the holy God of all creation. I think what I'm, I'm trying to, to get at is, is that Hannah points us to the Christian life in proper proportion. She worshipped corporately and she worshipped privately. Her God was God of her whole life even though they would go once a year to, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to worship. That wasn't, that wasn't the only place where God was to be worshipped or known. She didn't simply keep God for when she needed him, but she came before him uh, when, when she was happy and joyful and thankful for his gifts to her. Now, the second thing we see under this point is, is how her, her prayer is grounded in the character of God. And we talked about this at length uh, last Sunday morning, so I'm, I'm not going to go into this point too much, but, but this is one of those, those attributes that actually has to mark out the prayers of God's people. God's people approach him according to, to who he is. They let his character inform how, they, how and, and what they pray to him for. Look at verses 2 and 3. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. You see, we hear Hannah reflect on the uniqueness of who God is, on his character. He's, he's holy. Which is one of those, one of those words we, we can't really fully define. We, we try to say it's his, his perfection, his righteousness, and, and it, it is, encompasses that. But it's so much more. It's this, this almost indefinable attribute of his, his incredible person. He stands alone as God over all creation. He's the rock for his people. And because of these attributes, we, we come before him with, with humility. We, we can't hide from him. He knows our, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes. And he weighs our deeds. He's the judge over mortal humans. Now, what's Hannah driving at? What she's driving us to is, is, is the simple truth, a, a simple truth that, that actually Dale Ralph Davis puts very well. He says that, that what God has done for Hannah simply reflects his ways. What God has done in, for Hannah in providing her with a son simply reflects his ways. You see, when God treats his people better than they deserve that's who he is that's part of his character that's his mercy and his grace when he gives them good gifts when he answers their prayers and the, the pouring out of their souls with weeping before him God is simply acting according to his character and to his great love for his people he's not acting because Hannah prayed earnestly enough He's not, acting, he's, not, he's not acting simply because she said the magic words. He, he acted, he, he took action towards her. Because in, in himself, God is a God of grace and mercy and a deep-rooted love for his people. And if that's the, the character of our great God, then what should we expect of him if we, 
if we look to him as our portion. That's what we see in our, our third, third thing under this point. We see that Hannah knows that the, the things of this world are actually fragile and passing, which is why she looks to God as her help and as her real wealth. What does she, what does she say, what, what does she say as, is the, the practical outworking of God's character being revealed on earth? She says the, the ones who appear mighty and powerful on earth are actually frail and will be broken while the broken and the feeble will be the conquerors of the strong. She says the, the ones who enjoy great wealth will find they, they never quite have enough. Their wealth can go away in the blink of an eye and suddenly they find themselves lacking even, even food, the basic necessities, while the, the ones who were poor and hungry find their needs met. A simple way to say it is that, that the things we think will, will satisfy us these earthly things, they're, they're like the earth. And they fade away and pass away. And, and they sometimes fade and pass away more quickly than we realize. But those who look to the Lord have, have all his eternal wealth and goodness backing them. She's saying it's the, sa- the safest place to be is in the hands of our great God. She reflects further on this and it, it would be uh, worth you going back this week and, and reflecting further on on this and in, in these verses i'm not going to go through each one but i think it's also worth pointing out this is a bit of an aside but how how strikingly wise this is for a woman that would be despised in our own culture today you know, our modern culture would would want to criticize hannah wouldn't we she just wanted to be a mother and that's kind of weird when someone just wants to be a mother, isn't it? It's a reflection of how, uh, it, yeah, the, these verses would be looked at as a, a reflection of how the, the patriarchy was, was oppressing her, keeping her down. But what we need to understand about her is, is laying aside her, her cultural context. And if we can get past that cultural context, what the, the Bible speaks highly of, of Hannah and, and, the, and scripture presents her to us as, as an example, not because, of her, not because of her pregnancy, but because of what she knew and believed about God. And it should cause, cause and call all of us to desire to, to know the things that Hannah knew, to recognize that anyone can, can, can learn the ways of the Lord. She was a woman of, of true wisdom beyond that of, of so many of us. And she's a, an example to us because she points us to the, the great God of our salvation. That's actually the highest calling any of us could hope for. Our third point this evening uh, that we see reflected in Hannah's prayer is the security that is found in God alone. The security that's found in God alone. Hannah moves from her, her personal experience, her, her micro-salvation, if we, you can allow us to call it that, to reflecting on on the bigger picture, what we'll call macro salvation. What all of history, what's all of history moving towards? It's moving towards the day when God's salvation will be fully known, when his glory and his kingdom will fill the whole earth. Look back at verses 9 through 10. It says, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. 
For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. See, what Hannah calls us to recognize, what she calls us to embrace, is that the, the micro-salvations in our lives, those, those times when God blesses us, those times when, when, we, we, uh, when, when he provides real practical help for the, the struggles in this life, you know, when we recover from an illness, when we're able to, to go on a holiday for a rest, when we find a new job that, that meets our needs or provides a better working environment than the last job, these, these little things that we, we end up with in life, when we receive these things, they're, they're really a gift from God, aren't they? And they should remind us of the ultimate hope and salvation that we have in Him. And we should be very, very careful not to despise these gifts or take them for granted. See, Hannah rejoices over the, the gifts of her, her son that, that she gives back to the Lord. Because she recognizes that, that every little gift is from the Lord. That everything she has, even, even this, this child that she's longed for, ultimately belongs to God. And we need hearts like Hannah's. Hearts that are grateful and, and thankful to God for his little gifts that reflect his great gift. The salvation that we anticipate the, the salvation that, that rather Hannah anticipated and that we received in his son Jesus Christ. You see, the difference between the, the Christian life and the, the life of, of everyone else is that the, everyone else wants to, to bank these little gifts, don't they? They want to take the, that, next little, that next little bit of satisfaction and, and try and get the next one after that. It's a constant working and, and effort to, to find that perfect job, to, to build or, or renovate that perfect house, to, to raise that, that perfect child, to get them into that, that perfect school so that they can, they can repeat the cycle. They want to bank those gifts because those gifts are all that they have. because they refuse to acknowledge that every good gift comes from the hand of God. And they cannot see that it isn't the ultimate gift. Why are we so dissatisfied with life? It's because we've traded God, the God who gives good gifts and good things for those things themselves, haven't we? We want to cling on to the job that pays well when it's sucking the life out of us because we want the status that it offers. We, why, why do we struggle to, to forgive people in our lives? Why can't we do the things that Jesus says, like, like forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Why can't we move on and be thankful when a, a particular time of suffering comes to an end and, and be thankful that God brought us through it? Because many of us would, would rather be victims than be saved and healed by God. We'd rather have the, the things of this world than the mercies of God. Again, Dale Roth Davis says, each, each one of Christ's flock should ingest this point into his or her thinking. 
Every time God lifts you out of the miry bog and sets your feet upon a rock is a sample of the coming of the kingdom of God. A down payment of the full deliverance, the the macro salvation that will be yours at last. See, what Hannah tells us is, is the Christian life is a life where we can actually have real peace. It's a life where we can have real joy. Because we, we can get those things in, in these little gifts and these little deliverances. But only when they help us to, to see the, the loving and gracious Heavenly Father who, who gives us our ultimate salvation. She says we don't have to cling to these things. She, she gives the child up to, to serve the Lord. We can, we can give these gifts back to the Lord because, because we know that, that God has so much more to offer than these earthly things. What else could he ha- possibly have to offer? He, well, he has the promise of so, full salvation in his anointed, as, as Hannah puts it. And that, of course, is his son, Jesus Christ, who laid aside the glory of, of heaven to take on our flesh, to live despised and rejected by men, to carry the weight of our sins and our sorrows, to, to die the death that we all deserved, and to be raised to life and to ascend to heaven, to prepare a place for those who are found in him. And the wonder of the gospel that we, that we hear in Hannah's prayer is that we hear exactly how our great God rules now. And we're reminded that, that our great God will rule fully and completely. For all of eternity. We know this even more keenly than Hannah because we've, we've seen it and we've experienced it in the coming of Christ Jesus. And one day, someday, Christ will be exalted over all. He is the anointed of the Father. So how do we pray when things are going well? well we should pray with joy, shouldn't we? Because God's our portion. If God's our portion, then we can pray with thankfulness and confidence knowing that in Him we are secure both in this life and in the eternity that is to come. Let us pray.